This is a podcast from the Queen City Podcast Network. Hello, everyone. My name is Logan, and that, of course, means you are listening to another episode of the Crowncast. And I I hate to be the one to tell everybody, but news has broken. And on the show, we have traditionally had trouble saying names, some of them. Uh, so Wojcinski is particularly difficult for me. And if you thought it was bad before, hang on to something. Because we, like Charlotte FC, are only here to get worse. And uh, here to get worse with me is my regular co-host, Ewan. Hello, Ewan. <laughs> yep, yep. Ready and raring to go with that. <laughs> anybody, anybody who doesn't already know what is about to happen, go ahead, hit record. Uh, bring your your parents, whoever you think might get a good laugh out of this. Charlotte FC has been linked with a new Belgian player. And there are actual videos online from his previous club, Toulouse, where uh, the members of his team, staff, etc., are attempting to pronounce his last name. And no one gets it right. It's apparently so challenging to pronounce that there wasn't even a spot at the end of the video where they said it correctly. Uh, So I went out and I reached out to uh, friends in Germany because uh, Belgium has a German influence. And my German friends said, I have no idea how to say that. I went and I uh, reached out to one of my friends who is Dutch. And my Dutch friend said, I have no idea how to say that. And I don't have many friends in France. And I feel like the Americans among us will probably appreciate that. So. Uh, between you, Ewan, having having the English knowledge, myself, and uh, one German friend, and one Dutch friend, we have no idea how to do this. So we're just going to give it a shot. Ewan, uh, you're going to be the first victim. Would you like to tell us how to pronounce Brecht uh, something? Yeah, I thought I thought you might make me go first. Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Get all hate mail to Ewan. And then... <laughs> Yeah, I appreciate I appreciate the intro to that as well because sometimes it it may just seem like, like us to kind of you know butchering this uh, this name of a of a European player, but you've you've we've been through the team themselves that he plays for, we've been through people from around that area who speak that language who can't pronounce it. So I feel pretty okay giving this a go. I'm gonna say, and and, and obviously this is uh, spelled D E J A E G. E R E, and I think it's uh, de Gergere potentially de Gergere. See, I'm gonna go with the French, the French version in my head, and I'm gonna say it's Diagea. And I, I have no confidence that that's correct, uh, but I am gonna go with Brecht Diagea. And for you, I would like you to continue using de Gergere <laughs> because. <laughs> Let's be honest. It's probably like Brecht uh, Stevenson or something. With how far off we could <laughs> potentially be on this, it could. Well, be, it, it... this is the thing. I thought I obviously wanted to give it a bit of accent, but watching people attempt it and giving it some accent and, and it being said that it's wrong, I'm thinking: is it more literal than we think it is? Like, is is the actual pronunciation of it something that should sound like someone who is not good at French trying to pronounce it? So, I mean, <laughs> absolutely, absolutely could be. No one knows. I don't know. If you know out there, uh, fans, if you out, are out there, if you have a lot of, of history in Belgium and you know exactly how to do this, send us a message. Send us a voice recording. Help us out uh, because we need it. 
and I will tell you, Ewan, that I had actually intended in the intro for this podcast uh, to tell people some pretty cool, important stuff like the meaning of life and where the fountain of youth can be found. But now we just don't have time for it. Uh, so <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Uh, I should, should we get into the actual football? Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, it's a, sh- it's a shame that we couldn't have given the listeners that kind of content. But obviously the intro, it's, it's got to be wrapped up. So maybe next week. <laughs> yeah, and I'm I'm going to give credit to both Josh and Michael. Uh, you know, both sort of contributors to the pod. Uh, Josh, a contributor to the pod, being one of the founding members. Uh, they they both posted in our chat. Josh got to it first, although supposedly Michael got to it on Twitter first. So we really don't know if this is a chicken or egg situation. But they both went in and they posted a position of non dire need. Check. Thirty plus years of age check free check no mls experience check taylor made charlotte fc player <laughs> so uh so you and who do you feel like gets credit for this i'm, I'm gonna give it to josh i saw josh's first yeah that's the same with me um i suppose he gets he gets uh he gets veteran credit as well uh for being like you say a founding member i think he uh i think i think he gets it on this one but I'm happy for I'm happy for them to fight over it and see who comes out on top because uh, yeah it's uh, the, the joke itself is pretty accurate given uh, given the last three kind of major transfers we've seen especially in midfield it's gone Westwood Arfield and uh, now uh, Brecht <laughs> so yeah. yeah a a cage match for the joke I'm I'm down we'll live stream it it'll be pay per view fifteen dollars and forty nine cents so you can watch it we'll make a bunch of money. I'll be honest, I've met both of them. My money's probably on Josh. But cage match fighting really isn't my thing, so I don't know. (laughs) Uh, One of the things I want to do really quickly here is I have, in the spirit of Charlotte FC going out and looking at another 30-plus-year-old midfielder, I've put together a list of a very realistic starting 11 that we could see. This is not like a, oh, hey... In theory, you could pick these 11 guys. No, like Christian Latanzio is likely and capable of picking this team. <laughs> we could actually see it start an MLS uh, match. And it, it showed me that maybe this team is starting to get concerningly or worryingly old. And uh, Kalina is 30. Nathan Byrne is 31. Carujo is 26. DJ is 26. I think Caruso's 26. Would you check and make sure Caruso's 26? I might have adjusted that when I said maybe uh, Adilson Melanda instead of Caruso. But yeah, uh, yeah. Harrison Awful is 36. Uh, Ashley Westwood, 33. Scott Arfield, 34. Brecht, insert pronunciation here, is 32. Mackenzie Gaines is 25. Enzo Capetti is 26. Or he's 27, actually. Uh, Enzo Capetti is 27, and Justin Miram is 34. When you put all of those numbers together and you do the basic math of getting an average, it comes out to 30.36 repeating. And you and we talked about this off mic for a brief moment, but I don't know that I have ever seen like a real starting 11. Not like a joke that they put out because it's got like old, old players who are coming back and having a highlight at the club for a little while. But like a real starting eleven for a team that actually 
averaged over 30. Have you ever seen this? Yeah, like we like we mentioned, it's um it's something that is obviously rare. Um, but I imagine it has happened before, but probably happened for successful teams kind of not at their peak, but at the end of their peak and at the end of a run uh, of, of success, kind of keeping the band together, so to speak, and uh, seeing if they can kind of go one more, having like a last dance type of uh, of season, thinking like a Ferguson's Man United with a 38-year-old Ryan Giggs and, you know, a Paul Scholes who's, who's 35 and then some experienced centre-backs who are both over 30 and a 35-year-old goalkeeper. So, yeah, it's probably happened, but not for a team in this position. Uh, where we are now in MLS, probably not. Yeah, uh, a surprising thing. And and I, I don't know, probably if I go back through, I will find a few of them, but it, it doesn't feel overwhelmingly inspiring. Uh, uh, maybe we move on here. If it continues to get worse, who knows? We We don't seem to be interested in signing people in that like 24 to 27 range. It's like you're 18 years old or you're 34. Those are the two options. Uh, let's go, and I'm going to talk about lineup really quick because we talked about lineup in the last one, and we literally named the podcast what because of it. And I think that there was a little bit of pressure that landed on Latanzio and on the club to maybe not be quite so insane with their picks. And when they came out with this next lineup, it looked like something I understood. Uh, Nathan Byrne at left back, Derek Jones, Guzman Carujo as partners and centers. Uh, Jalen Lindsay, play Jalen Lindsay every game. Actually had a pretty rough game, but we'll talk about him later. Uh, Ashley Westwood, Brent Bronico, and Scott Arfield, all midfielders in the midfield. Shocking. I know, uh, but it, it did happen. We have evidence and proof. Mackenzie Gaines on the left, uh, where he does look to be excelling. He is, looks like he's doing really well out there. Carol Swiderski, who obviously had two amazing goals. And Kerwin Vargas on the right. That that looked like a football team. It looked like a football team in the places where the guys play the football. And you and correct me if I'm wrong, but this game was a lot more fun to watch because of it. A, a, am I too am I too reductive? Was was there a a wisdom of the masses that was correct here? Um no, I think it's fair to say that from a Charlotte perspective, this was an entertaining game. Obviously, there is the uh, there's, there's the added element of, you know, people are getting sick of drawing games, but a draw against Cincinnati is more palatable than a draw against New York City, than a draw at home to Montreal, than a draw away to New York Red Bulls, etc. So there is that element to that. But no, there was a simplification of the uh, of the team in this. Um, the the back four not not only did the players in the players that they, in the positions that they were playing makes sense but we actually kind of got a little bit away from the Derek Jones moving up into the midfield uh part of the uh of the of the setup obviously he goes off in the first half but we get a good 30 35 minutes of the game to see how that was going to shape up and he played mm -hmm. pretty conventional he was going up in into that midfield area a little bit he was carrying the ball a little bit there but it wasn't as much a case of okay we're on the ball let's let us get into our shape of 3-2 uh, Derek Jones you move up there and then we move it was a lot more conventional with with Brent Bronico playing that role instead. Westwood dropping in there as well to help out, which I actually think plays a big role in why this may have been more entertaining. Westwood playing in a role that suits him a little bit more. But yeah, I think you're absolutely right. This team playing things a little bit more simplified, I think, helped the players themselves just get a bit more clarity on the field. Maybe not always thinking about, OK, when we're here, I have to be here, which is different to where I have to be when this happens. Just a lot more standard formation. 
players playing in the roles they're familiar with and probably playing better and with more freedom because of it, which makes it more entertaining, like you say. I I kind of want to touch on Westwood because I've been I've been back and forth on Westy for a little while now. You know, I see the talent, I see the long ball ability. I believe it's him that clips that amazing ball up over to Vargas early on in the match. When when Ashley Westwood plays good, we look good. And sometimes it is as simple as that. If you can get your key guy who runs the midfield going, if you can buy him space, if you can get him the ball and let him play his game, you look good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I don't want to I don't want to oversimplify football here because there are I, I think we're moving away from the where we have moved away from the era of the players should just sort of jive to positionally disciplined pattern play setups that that can and will work. We are we are in an era right now of you go where the play says you go and you will get an opportunity and you have to be skilled enough to execute on it. And who knows, maybe it'll flip back one day. But right now, I kind of feel like if Charlotte FC is going to succeed, they're a little bit in a jive era. And the player who has to be jiving is Ashley Westwood. I saw when I watched this one back, I saw him on the touchline on the right a lot. It was clear that when Vargas got to go make some of those sweeping runs, Ashley Westwood would float over really, really wide to help cover that space. And when he was over there on the touchlines, I felt like he didn't have a lot of use. Not that he wasn't doing his job, but that he was kind of just covering space. And they weren't really causing us any significant issues down that there attacking left or, or right. Now, you could argue that that's because Ashley Westwood did a good job, which defensive responsibility is part of something. But when you have that player, either he is good enough to do that defensive system and still affect the game, or you need to let him go affect the game and let the defense be on somebody else. I struggle with that because I think Ashley Westwood's got it. I think he could do both in this league. But I think we're asking an awful lot of him to do both, especially if he needs to get all the way back to that sort of like defensive side of the midfield. Ewan, what are your thoughts on this? Um, it's funny with Westwood because I think, like you mentioned there, with uh, with having a rewatch of the game, I do think a lot of people who watch Charlotte FC and then kind of take the time to rewatch games, they always do if they feel like Westwood wasn't very good in a game on the rewatch. He'll always come across whether he looks better or whether what he's doing looks like it has more purpose. That always seems to come across. And it definitely happens uh, in this game, I think, because I saw a lot of people mentioning that they they didn't think he played very well, thought that he kind of um, didn't have as, as big an impact on the game as uh, you would want from a midfielder. But in this game, I think you see a lot of good one-touch stuff. I think you see a lot of quick progression. And what you mentioned there with him on that right side of the field, I think you see him occupying a lot of good spaces. You mentioned there that he's over there and he's maybe not you know, getting on the ball, maybe not having a massive impact. I think what he was often doing when he was in those areas is sometimes there's use in occupying a space, meaning someone else has to honour that space that you're in because you have a certain amount of talent. And that creates a 1v1 opportunity further down that line if we are talking directly about the right, which I think yeah. happened for Vargas in situations. I think just him being over there and having that 2v2 so they can't double him up 
is something that Latanzio has emphasised when he's had the opportunity to play Westwood in that position. I think I've mentioned before that the best football that Charlotte have played this season, the most fun football, the most effective football, is when Westwood is on that right side with Vargas and they're connecting. Westwood's playing the ball into Vargas quickly. Westwood's underlapping for Vargas to either go inside or play that ball through to Westwood at the byline. I think that's our best football. And you touching on it there, it was so good to see it again in this game, not just with him being on the right side in that space, but you mentioned the pass that he has to him early in the game for that uh, that chance, I think, after five or ten minutes. I think a lot of people, and just to add this extra bit on, on Westwood, because obviously we're talking about him, a lot of people are very interested in seeing him in the six. They talk a lot about, we've signed Scott Arfield, people like Ben Bender. We've obviously got a new midfielder and he wants to play further up the field. I want to see Westwood in the six. For me, I just wouldn't do it because that removes what, for me, is the most threatening part of our team, the best connection in our team, that Westwood to Vargas connection on the right side. I think in this game, we saw a little bit more of it, and I hope that they managed to stick with it because it's really, really good to see. And Brandt is capable of filling in that role with Jones moving in up uh, alongside him if that's what we want to do going forward. So I'm definitely getting off track here, but this is why I love talking to you, you and you give me all sorts of crazy ideas. A <laughs> lot a lot of the best teams that we see play a midfield. And maybe this is going to be a midfield pod. A lot of the <laughs> best teams, we're going to get to Carroll. I think he deserves some chatting about. Um, but a lot of the best teams that you see play a midfield play some combination of a three that they turn into a box midfield. And if you have not gotten tired of hearing the term box midfield at this point, I don't know how <laughs> hmm. uh, you might have your head under a rock. If you have never looked up a box midfield, I would encourage you to look up a box midfield. There's a lot of cool and interesting stuff in there. It's just kind of well-worn path at this point. So we're not going to go over it here, but they usually start in some formation of a three and then draw somebody in from somewhere else. In some teams, they will play with a deep lying six. And then they'll play with what they quote call two eights. And they're very rarely two eights. It's usually more like one box to box midfielder, one sort of like more traditional midfielder, and one attacking 10 ish midfielder that defends like they're not a 10. They're not a free flowing uh, piece that doesn't have to be involved in setup. They don't, they have to press, they're defensive as offensive but they sort of float in the right or left half spaces and over being in the middle. Apologies, words are hard. This team doesn't really do that. We don't really have that staggered second line, if you will. Uh, and you know, you'll see it the same if you have two six players back there, oftentimes those sixes will stagger. I haven't really seen Ashley sitting in the like attacking right half space of the pitch. And when I do see him there, when I see him coming more central and being a part of the central play, that's where I feel like I see him spraying balls. That's where I, I, I see him making these deadly connections, these over-the-top amazing balls to, to places that only he can see, right? And I just am starting to wonder why we don't get him there more often. Ewan, are you seeing what I'm seeing? Do you like where he's playing? Do you think he should be more advanced? So this is a this is about getting Westwood and putting him almost further up the pitch, being in that half well, space a little more. Maybe maybe not even further up the pitch as much. Although I do kind of want him. I personally want him between the 
between the midfield line, sort of between the midfield line and the defensive line. I, I want his creative ability to be able to go out and create. And then I want him to drop back and pick up balls. How yeah. do you see where he's most effective? Uh, I, I I definitely think he's more effective playing, you mentioned there, those two eights, one which has a bit more sort of freedom going forward, even though obviously there is no full freedom for either. Uh, yeah. One has a bit more creative freedom playing more traditional as like a 10 would, but not like a 10 in terms of being in the middle of the field. They still have their dedicated side. And then on the other side, a more conventional light of maybe picking up the ball a little deeper, spraying it forward and, you know, being in the in the engine room, so to speak. I definitely think that Westwood is is better at the latter. I think you want him picking up the ball, um, not in the first phase of build-up, but a little bit deeper in the field. And I think that there is a role there for him in this team where he can do that because people get annoyed at Charlotte's build-up, how slow it is. I, I definitely have my issues with it. But just to kind of touch on what the concept is behind it, um, it's slow build-up with the idea of enticing a press, bringing the opposition further up the field. And then if you have the talent to play it forward, you suddenly have a four-on-five or a three-on-four with tons of space to attack it in, which is why guys like Mackenzie Gaines can be effective in this system because they find a lot of space uh, within it. Um, and, and Vargas as well, he's he's successful within it. So it's a benefit to have a winger in those systems, but Mackenzie Gaines is obvious with his pace. And the thing that yeah. helps Ashley Westwood in this is that he's good at driving forward into space and playing the ball into space. When he has that freedom to go forward, play the ball into space, he's fantastic. Driving forward with the ball, um, playing direct in a, in a line. What he struggles with a little bit, I think, is in the deeper build-up play, playing on the half turn, playing in the tighter spaces. He can do it and be capable. It's just not where you get his best football. I think the best version of Ashley, Ashley Westwood is that version, playing a little bit further forward, where he's not receiving the ball in the final third, like a more 10 version of the eights you speak about, but he actually is able to be the connector and play the ball into space within the system for the wide players. I think there's a perfect role for him in this team, but because of availability, um, because of uh, maybe Latanzio has an idea for him in that early build-up, or maybe just his experience in uh, in the team playing nearer to a defence that chops and changes a lot, he wants him there. There's a million reasons that we could go and see why he wants him in those positions, but I'm pretty clear that I think his best position is playing further forward. So my my look at this is the two, the two, three, four, five best times I've seen Ashley Westwood he was playing sort of just off the hip of DJ. And I really do think the two of them complement each other in, in only the best way. I think Ashley scans the field in a way that is really effective at getting DJ an out ball. <laughs> Excuse me. And DJ is really good at being that force in the midfield that draws people in, right? So DJ can draw people in. He's buying Ashley the space. And then once he's bought the space for Ashley, Ashley will have positioned himself in a way that the ball to him is relatively easy. He's not asking uh, Derek Jones to hit, you know, 20 yard lasers to get it to his feet. He's getting to the place where DJ can be effective and DJ is buying that press or is pulling that press away from Ashley, which means he's got his time to get his head up, scan the whole field again, and then really just destroy teams with a good pass. 
once that connection is broken, I think we really start to see some of the the challenges in both of their games. And I think we've been struggling from that. But in this one, I do think we saw a little bit more of that connection come back out. And we also saw some of that connection between uh, Scott Arfield and Ashley Westwood, which I think is a good thing. Although I'll be honest, after a game and a half, a game and a quarter, whatever it was, I can't exactly say I'm I'm full on the Scott Arfield train yet. Another another 30 year old plus in our midfield. So <laughs> uh, we did get in on the wings a lot. And I do think there's some credit to be given to both Scott and Ashley for that. I think them holding those wide positions, like you said, doubles up and gives those wingers a chance to to not just be alone in space, but to draw people in and then have somewhere to run. So I think they deserve some credit there. But you're right. This is another one where on watching, I didn't love Ashley Westwood. And I went back and I watched it again and I went, okay, I see what he's doing. And so I think where I'm falling on Ashley right now is he's putting in work. For me, the question is, how do we make that work most efficient? And I think we're going to have to we're going to have to find some answers. Do you want to move on to the the sort of over the top balls Christian Latanzio was talking about? Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is um, this is, I think, a, a, an interesting wrinkle of this um, and, and something to monitor going forward. So, yeah, happy to uh, happy to touch on this uh, 100%. So one of the things that kind of worked in this game was the midfielders, uh, Brian Bronico, uh, Scott Arfield, and Ashley Westwood all looked up and saw long balls and regularly hit them. And I'm not talking about like from Christian Kalina long balls. I'm talking about like medium long over one line, effective run on the back long balls. And we looked good when we were hitting them. It was a route one adjacent, but not, not without buildup. So we were getting these effective plays. Obviously, we get both goals out of this uh, and Carol's amazing touches. And then we go and we see Christian Latanzio isn't particularly pleased with it. We go into the media room afterwards and, we, and we're talking with Christian and he says, I don't like that they're going long. I don't like that they're, they're hitting the ball straight up. I wanted them to be doing more passing, get more passing completion in, move the ball left and right. And we've seen a lot of moving the ball left and right. Hasn't always worked for Charlotte FC. Is there an element here, Ewan, of the players kind of taking some of the tactics into their own hands and going, look, I see the field. I know what these guys can do. I'm hitting it to the guy who I know I can get it to and I know will will create dangerous play. Or do you feel like the the plan was stuck to mostly with just a little bit of a little bit of annoyance from Latanzio. Yeah, it, I mean, it almost comes back to the what I was saying earlier about why we play the way that we play. That patient build up, the reasons behind it. You know, it's something that you watch and you think, where is this going? It's it's back. It's it's left. It's right. It's kind of just hanging around the goalkeeper and the four or five defenders in that unit. The reason for it is is like I say to bring pressure from the opposition. And then you put together a couple of quick passes and then you're in and you're in space. That's meant to be the benefit of it. The funny thing about this is that 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 is a that is a, a sound way of looking to play. Obviously, the execution of how we've done it is iffy uh, from game to game. It, it that, requires a very high technical ability to do. Yeah, the, you've got to you've got to be 
you've got to be sound in what you do. You've got to be confident doing it because it's uh, you know it's it's something where you know you're trusting your players a lot to to execute properly. And the benefits of that setup, like I mentioned, getting the balls, uh, getting the ball to your wingers uh, in space, attacking. So the weird thing about this is that with these direct balls that we were seeing from uh, from Charlotte, like the one I referenced earlier, Westwood going to Vargas and it creating a chance, we're getting the benefit that we're looking for with the way that we usually set up, but just getting it directly from long balls. So I don't really see the issue that Latanzio would have with us, with us doing that because it's getting us to where we want to get to, even though the process of how we're getting there is away from from what he wants it to be, and 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 that'll obviously be why. Like I, I've just said it there, the process isn't right, mm-hmm. regardless of whether the results are right. He won't be happy with the process. But football is a sport where things are always moving in the game, and you have to have a, you have to, as a coach, you have to allow for players to understand what is happening on the field themselves and adjust to it. And and trust them as as smart footballers who've played loads, a lot of football and understand what's going on because they're on the pitch to pick out little things like that every now and then. Ashley Westwood isn't playing that ball because he's throwing his toys out the pram and thinks that our tactics are bad. He's doing it because he thinks we can gain an advantage, <laughs> and and we did. And that's that's what I I kind of uh, I kind of I get I get a, a head coach being annoyed at the uh, at the process not being followed, but it was. Honestly, it was something that we should have been doing in this game. Cincinnati play with a back three that plays quite narrow, and with wing backs, which I am calling them wing backs, quite you know, yeah, they're not not really full. They're not really wing backs. They play as quite conventional right and left midfielders most of the time. So, what happens if you have wing backs who usually play a little bit further up and a narrow back three? What does that leave? A massive amount Based of space. The the, yeah, exactly. <laughs> but it's it has... almost like we just saw this against us. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like just days ago. <laughs> yeah, we should know that this is the vulnerability for this because we are a team that can leave that space open sometimes. But that's that's what I don't really get about this is that we play with those wingers playing fairly wide and high at times. And we have this opposition who play with a narrow back three and those wing backs playing quite high up. That space is obviously available to, for those passes. And if we play patiently, then maybe that space is occupied quickly within phases going through the game. Maybe if we play a few more passes, they adjust as we as we build through the phases and suddenly that space isn't there. That space has to be attacked directly before they can adjust to it in their shape. So I I, I, I get him being annoyed at the process of, uh, of us not following the process of what he wants us to do. But I just... I. I see it's just a too obvious it's too it's too obviously an effective way of playing that I don't get why this wasn't something that we discussed in the week saying this is how we'll attack them. I honestly couldn't believe it wasn't something that we'd emphasized coming into the game rather than something yeah. that we went against the against the coach's wishes for doing. Well, it's one of the things that like it's hard to tell whether the stuff that worked was against the co- coach's wishes or whether he was frustrated at the stuff that came sort of later in the game. But what I can tell you is that for the first, uh, I'm going to call it 30, 35 minutes of this game, we went out and we played like a team that can play anybody, including FC Cincinnati. And I don't necessarily, I want to talk very briefly about Carroll, because I think those touches 
for the two goals deserve to be framed realistically like that's now his his touch into the top left corner is basically perfect and that one along with his touch on the end line you know a few games back uh, i think should go into some sort of record book for something i don't know he should get flowers everyone sent carol swiderski flowers uh, i think he deserves a lot of credit because he makes those he beats his man he makes these one touch plays he he earns the right to score those goals and then he scores them from very difficult positions all the credit in the world to Carroll. but we were playing those teams like we we were playing that team like we deserve to be there and i talked in the last one about the fact that if you're going to play jose Mourinho football you better win but if you're going to go out and you're going to play brent like uh, uh not brentford if you're going to go out and you're going to play like uh Help me out. A, a Brighton. 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 Yeah, if you're going to go out and you're going to play like Brighton, if you're going to play attacking, if you're going to try and get down the wings and really go at teams, and occasionally you're going to have uh, issues at the back because you've you've gone at a team and you get beat, fine. I'd rather see that. And you know what? In this game, we went out and we attacked. We tried the ball over the top to the outside. We let Jalen Lindsay get up the pitch. And yes, Jalen Lindsay is directly responsible, if not entirely responsible, for two goals. But part of our attacking verve comes from Jalen Lindsay being up there to support, letting him progress the ball as well. I am okay with this. Like this, I went from last game being like, I am not okay with this, to <laughs> this game going, I'm okay with this. We just played the best team in the league and we played them like we deserved to be there until we were up 11 men to 10. And then we just didn't play at all. That I don't understand. Uh, thoughts on this and thoughts on why we stopped playing when we had a man advantage. <laughs> um, yeah, it, it's kind of difficult to work out. The second half is a difficult one to work out in general, because I think you can take it from a few perspectives. Um, I think you can look at the penalty and, and whether you think it's a penalty or not a penalty, uh, I think when penalties like that happen in moments like that, um, penalties like that meaning fouls that aren't coming from direct impacts on goal, like no one's clear on goal, no one's about to shoot, et cetera, et cetera. You can mm -hmm. feel a little bit harshly done by that, like uh, that was in the box, but it feels harsh that that is a penalty and now it's 2-1 and, the, and it, the game has changed and there's only one goal away from now our lead has lost and we've lost the lead again and then confidence impacts the team and everything like that so you can look at it from that perspective but you can also look at it from the perspective of our two goals in the first half came from like you mentioned really good touches from Karol Swiderski but are they, are we just ahead because of two moments uh, two moments of individual brilliance in front of goal and in reality this is the regression that we were waiting to happen because uh, we had some good moments in the first half, um, but we got as good as we gave a little bit. They threatened the goal uh, as well as we did. Um, mm -hmm. So it's it's kind of hard to fully come away from this game thinking not only the emotional reaction to, is that a good draw, is that a bad draw? Just the emotional reaction of, should we have won it? Is it fair enough that we got a draw? Obviously, the context is built in with the fact that we had 20 minutes overall against 10 men um at the end of the game and we didn't really create much apart from Carl Svodersky hitting the post I suppose um yep. and that's just because mainly I think that as a as a team 
we just lack a little something creatively in the final third. And th- that is based off of mainly, I think, the fact that there isn't a well-drilled, well-coached go-to in the final third that you really need when you're playing against a team with 10 men. Because when you play against a team with 10 men, they play a certain way unless they need to score, which I think Cincinnati were pretty happy with a point at that point by the time they'd had a man sent off. So yeah. I just, it's okay. simil- yeah, sorry. I just, I was going to say, it's a little bit similar to the conversation that we had um, off the back of, uh, I think it was off the back of the, uh, the, the Montreal game, um, the nil nil where we just said, this team doesn't have a great amount of built in attacking structures and patterns to go to in the final third um it has some in the first in the first phase but not so many and in the final third it we 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 bank on a lot of you know great individual moments like we get from carol we bank on great relationships between players like i mentioned with westwood and vargas but when you come up against a team which is happy to pretty much shut up shop even if they're doing with 10 men and they didn't shut up shop completely they did attack a little bit they had set pieces but in those settled moments where we are up the field and they're offering no real rest attack, kind of borrow a phrase, we struggle to break it down. Yeah, to to your point here, after the red card, so the red card was the 75th minute. Yeah. After the red card, we have the shot from Carol Schroederski that hits the post. Uh, Carol registers a shot that gets beamed way wide, right? and uh our field has that one super late that he hits way up into the stands and that's it those yeah. were the only opportunities two of them were nowhere near the goal right like these shots are being taken from what is carol's shot there it is is about 25 22 yards yeah something like that no no carol's both of carol's two are uh inside of the 18 but the, oh, sorry. Oh, I thought you meant the shot that yeah, they hit the post. Um, yeah, actually, that one is just inside the eighteen, according to this. I could be. Uh... Oh no, no, it it is outside the eighteen. You're correct. Uh, either way, we go in and we look at this, and somehow we went from being a team that was playing FC Cincinnati like we were supposed to be there, and then in the second half we played them like we weren't supposed to be there, even when we were up a man. And I have to admit, that is disappointing. But again, the issues with, with Jalen Lindsay going to ground is a young man who has time to learn how to be a defender. He's an incredible attacking threat going forward. He, he loses out on a ball and does kick the player, and it's a penalty. He makes a couple of mistakes here. I still think there is room to listen to the fact that, that his presence helped us go out and be a team that was fun to watch. I think there's also room to listen to the fact that he needs to improve if he wants to continue to be a starter that that plays for a team that will go on and win regularly. Any any final thoughts on this before we move on to Montreal? Yeah, uh, I think um, I think there's a there's a case to be made that this is a team that and this is away from tactical points and things like that. You get it sometimes in sports, no matter what sport it is. Sometimes you get teams, or sometimes you get um, athletes that play to the competition. And maybe that's just what we have in Charlotte, a team that will play against uh, Cincinnati, who are the best team in MLS, and will match them, uh, not just in terms of the fact that it was a draw, but like I say, 
we gave as good as we got. Um, we were competitive in the game. They had chances. We had chances. And then we have other instances this season where we play opposition like uh, the Montreal home game. Montreal, um, I think they may still be the worst road team in the league. Um, and we draw nil-nil. We have the instance where we go on the road to uh, LA Galaxy. And, and even though road games in, on the West Coast are always hard, they're not a very good team. And we make a bit of a meal of the game, and uh, we just uh, we we get out there with a one nil win. Maybe that's just the maybe that's just the team we are. Um, problem with that being is that it can sometimes lead to a lot of draws when you play to your competition's uh, standard. And as we've said with other teams, and now we say about ourselves, draws aren't going to get you anywhere that quick. I mean, you're right. Draws aren't going to get you anywhere quickly. And you know, I'm sitting here leaning back in my chair thinking about it. And maybe we are. Maybe we're a team that, that plays to our, our opposition, and I don't like hearing that because I think once you get to a professional league level, these guys should be killers. I mean, everyone to an extent plays to the level of what's in front of them, right? But once you get to the professional league, I feel like you should have the coaching and you should have the, the scouting ability to go find the guys that play their game, not play the game of their opponents. Let's move on from this and talk about Montreal because we're going to go away to Montreal before a big break in the MLS. And uh, we're going to now have to play Montreal on their turf. So you and how are we going to beat Montreal uh, where unfortunately it seems like they're much better? <laughs> yeah, no, it's uh, it, it goes back to, uh, to, to what we spoke about, not only just alluding to it just then, but when we had the uh, a little preview on the Montreal game um, when we faced them. At home, we talked about those home runs, uh, those those home uh, versus away splits, and away from home, not a great side, um, but at home, one of the best in MLS. So it's going to be tough. Um, <laughs> I think one of the advantages we have is uh, the fact that they will be playing uh, tonight. This is obviously being recorded on a Wednesday. They play tonight against Chicago on the road. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas uh, with uh, with Charlotte, we won't be playing midweek this week, so we'll have that little bit more rest. Uh, so we may, so they'll be travelling back into Montreal um, on, on Thursday, and then we'll be coming in a couple of days later. So even though they're at home, maybe we have the rest advantage in it. But yeah, they are a uh, they are a formidable side at home. And as we spoke about when we did that preview, this is a team who wants to play in space when they're attacking. Uh, kind of like we explained there with uh, Charlotte playing against Cincinnati, playing in space, wanting to uh, invite pressure and then uh, kind of simulate transition moments, giving their wingers space to play into. And I think it's still worth noting that teams playing against our defence in space is maybe our weakest point because I know Carujo had some tough moments in that game uh, against Cincinnati when he was having to defend in space. Um Derek Jones is someone who that might be a strength, but he might not play. And it'll yep. be uh, Jan Sobaczynski, who you would imagine will come in and play that role. So if it's we those do. two guys playing in there, it's going to be tough. Jalen Lindsay, you touched on it. The fact that one-on-one defensively, he has some issues, whether that's ball played in beh- balls played in behind of him and just him uh, squaring up a winger who's on the ball, those 1v1 dribbling situations. So yeah, this is a, uh, this is a team which is going to look to to be dangerous in those areas and the matchup is going to be tough, but hopefully we're up to it. Hopefully it's something that they're drilling through this week, they're practicing and they'll be ready for. Yeah. I mean, all we can do is hope. 
I hope that we see another game that's fun to watch at the very least. And that is actually going to be my thing to watch. And my thing to watch this time is not going to be tactical. It's not going to be, you know, specifically player related. It's going to be, I'm going to ask all of you listeners to look at yourselves and ask, am I having fun watching this game? Because I think Charlotte has a lot of talent. I think it has a lot of interesting players in the midfield. It's got guys that can that can blow your socks off and make this game fun. So ask yourself during this one, is this game fun? And see what you come up with. Because I'm going to be alongside looking at Ashley Westwood very closely to keep, keep trying to understand what's going on with him. Uh, I'm going to be asking myself, is this fun? Because uh, we love this team and we want to enjoy watching it. Uh, that is going to go ahead and do it for us this time as ever. If you have decided to spend your time with us, we love you. Thank you so much. I will go ahead and say uh, thank you, Ewan. Perfect. All good. Always a pleasure. Yep. And you can find Ewan on Twitter at stillness underscore speed. Myself on Twitter at that underscore football guy. And we will talk to you again after we go and take our next three points from Montreal. Goodbye. QueenCityPodcastNetwork.com. Mm-hmm.